I wasn't uh, singing out loud this morning because I was trying to save my voice. I had a little bit of issues with my voice this weekend, and but I really wanted to sing. <laughs> the songs were really drawing me in, so I was singing in my heart. And you know what? I sound pretty good in my heart. <laughs> in, in my head, it sounds pretty good, you know. I got to start this morning, though, with a story about last week. Cy, you know, my friend Cy, uh, short for Josiah, was here to preach. And uh, you guys may have been like, man, he, you know, he preached a good sermon, but his pants, they were just a little bit too short and a little bit too tight. <laughs> but maybe that's just his style. Well, it's not just his style. Um, no, he, he was wearing actually his favorite dress pants that morning. And uh, bent over to pick up his child and just big old hole ripped right, right in the wrong spot. And so I had to, it was a good thing. It was a baptism Sunday because I, I haven't thought about this, but I need to put an extra set of clothes in my office. All right. But he was like, what size are you? And I was like, well, and the thing is, I, I was like two inches too short and two inches too small, but he squeezed into my pants and that's why when I did announcements, I came out here already in my baptism stuff. So the Lord was looking out for, for him that, that I even had stuff here. So that's not his style. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty funny. And he, for, he was supposed to tell that story. And then he got up here and he just got going and he forgot about it. Um, so I felt bad for him because he... <clears throat> anyways... Genesis 21, that's where we're at this morning, and um, all of us have been in competition, right? I mean, you may not consider yourself a competitor, but you have competed. Some of you have been in wars. Others have participated in competitive sports, or maybe you've competed at work for a promotion, or maybe you compete against your siblings. Maybe uh, the competition you've experienced has been more organized, and maybe for some of you it's more recreational. Either way, we compete. We compete every day when you think about it. Every time we sin, we competed against God, right? Every time we resist a temptation to sin, we engaged in a competition against our flesh and against our enemy. And heck, when you put it that way, you know, it's like we're playing both sides, isn't it? It almost feels like sometimes like we're one of those squirmy spies that plays both sides whenever it one benefits us more than the other and just hoping that we end up on, this, on the right side at the end of the, the war or the conflict or whatever. But in reality, as a Christian, I'm not actually playing both sides. I am firmly in the Lord's army. It's just sometimes, well, you know, I'm, I screw up and kind of sabotage myself, right? My hard-heartedness tries to screw things up, but thankfully I've put my faith in a caring creator who busts through my hard heart. As you see, the name of this message this morning is Hard Heart versus Caring Creator. See, if my heart is a rock, his hand is a chisel. If my heart is iron, his love is fire. If my heart is steel, his grace is diamond. In our passage today, we're going to see a hard heart take its stand against our caring creator and we've already read the full passage this morning, so we're not going to read through it all at once again, but we will go back through it 
step by step. But you can guess whenever we put our hard heart against a caring creator, I think you can guess who wins that battle. (laughs) But before we get going, let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for the prayers and the support of this congregation. Uh, God, thank you for the, the people who volunteer every week to go teach our children during this time. Lord, we pray that you'd bless them. We, we lift them up to you, God, that you would give them strength, that you would give them support, and that we would continue to be able to expand that ministry. And I pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to just hear from your word, and that what I say would reflect what your word says, and just teach us more about how to use it. And so I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, and we pray that we would be ready uh, for whatever you want to do. In Christ's name, amen. So we'll go back to verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to start. The Lord came to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. So this chapter starts on a happy note. We've spent a lot of time in our study of Genesis. Of course, far less than Abraham and Sarah. But waiting for this promised child to be born. And here it is. It finally happens. And notice the emphasis that is put on God fulfilling his promises. It says, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. It's almost as if God was communicating through Moses, hey, uh, guess what? It happened exactly how I said it would. It was one of those told you so moments. You guys ever have any of those? No, of course not. No. And, And we never get a little too happy and smug to finally say it when we get the opportunity. Uh, no, we, of course, we, we, we wouldn't do that because we're so considerate and humble of, of the feelings and of our friends and family. We wouldn't want to rub it in or anything. Now, sometimes we're not so humble or considerate, and it doesn't come out so holy. It, it's not necessarily great for us to remind other people how right we can be sometimes when we are right, but it is perfectly just and necessary for God to remind us that he is always right. Abraham and Sarah made a lot of mistakes leading up to this as they waited for God's promise. But those mistakes and that waiting was always what they needed to be prepared for the next step that God had for them. And it would be great if we could just have perfect faith all the time, right? And just not have to go through tests and trials and make mistakes that we have to learn from. But that's not reality, Reality is that God is perfect and faithful and he always accomplishes what he says he will, when he says he will, how he says he will, but it can take time. 
Notice what God said to the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For the vision, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You see, if it seems slow with God, wait for it. We need to learn the same thing Abraham and Sarah had to learn. You cannot rush God's will. Isaac's birth happened at its appointed time. No matter what they did, he wasn't coming any sooner or any later. When it comes to God's promises, it's simply a matter of faith. Do we believe or don't we? And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how we try to rush God's will because we've actually done that already as we studied those mistakes that Abraham and Sarah made in the past, trying to do that very thing. However, I do think that it would be pertinent to discuss what promises we are waiting for now, as well as the trouble we can get ourselves into when we're waiting for things that God hasn't actually promised at all. What promises are we waiting for now? Do we even still have promises of God? Is that just a thing of the past? Well, the answer is absolutely we have promises from God that we live under and that we are still waiting for. The main promise that we live under right now is the promise of salvation for those who have truly repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ. Now, see, here's the thing. Sometimes we act like we're waiting to see if God will fulfill his promise to save us. Like, maybe there's a chance we're going to die and find out he, there wasn't a loving God at all. He was just toying with us the whole time for his own little sick entertainment. And we are awaiting our glorification. You know, we've talked about that, how one day sin will be taken away and we'll get to live with God for, in, in perfection. But we are not awaiting our salvation. It's already been fulfilled. It's done. I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior and Lord and chose to follow him. And you know what that means? I'm not waiting to see if I will be saved. Church, I am saved. It's been done. My salvation is not something I'm just hoping for. It's already been realized. Those hundred-year-old parents could look at each other and, and, and be like, we have a baby. <laughs> we actually have a baby. And they were holding him. And we true believers can look at each other and be like, we're saved. We're actually saved. It's like the other day when um, Eve came up to me in the morning and she was wearing a little princess dress. She was like, daddy, daddy, look. And I looked at her and I said, oh, I said, you look cute. And she said, I am cute. It's <laughs> like, well, I hope that I look saved, but understand this. I don't just look saved. I am saved. It's been done. Do we live like that, though? In our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Do we live like that as our true reality? And I think often we don't. Have you ever met someone who was married but tried to live like they weren't married? You know, they thought they could get married but still live like a single person. Or parents who thought that they could live like they did before they had kids. It doesn't work. No, when you get married or when you have kids, your life changes. You spend your money differently. You make your decisions differently. You spend your time differently. You plan based on the new reality, not the old one. You say, I'm married and my wife's money is 
my money. I mean, our money is the same. It's the same thing. My bank account is her bank account. You know, we've come together. We tell our kids all the time, hey, you know, we share things. You can't live like an only child. You have siblings. And the thing about this is that if you're a Christian, live in the reality of being saved, not just like hoping that you will be saved one day. You are. Live like you have someone on the throne of your heart that's not yourself. It's Jesus. It changes everything. We spend our time and money and make our decisions differently. We, my bank account is God's bank account. My time is his time. My life is his. And that reality, it brings changes to our life, the way that we live our life right now. But it also brings a confidence and a peace about eternity. I am saved. It's been done. I have it just like Abraham and Sarah had Isaac in their hands. So I'm not waiting for salvation. I already have it. But what I am waiting for, there are other promises that we're waiting for. I'm waiting for the promise of Jesus' return. I'm waiting for the promise of the final judgment. I'm waiting for the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. My, my final dwelling place where I get to live for eternity with my Lord. And if God seems slow in fulfilling those promises, just wait for it. They'll come at their appointed time exactly the way that he said they would. But what I don't want to happen, I don't want us to get caught up in waiting for things that God hasn't promised, but treating them like he has. You know, we're all waiting for things. We're all hoping for things. But understand what God has promised and what he hasn't. God has not promised you good health. He has not promised single people a spouse. He has not promised an easy life. He has not promised retirement. He hasn't promised that the housing market would finally crash and we could buy a house in Eugene. I'm, wa I'm waiting for it. But it's not a promise that I have to cling to like, oh, it has to happen. So Abraham and Sarah finally saw God's promise fulfilled in, in an over 90-year-old woman breastfeeding a baby. Ugh may not sound beautiful to us, but it was beautiful to them. And it was beautiful to God. And it's a happy start to this chapter. But that quickly changes. In verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking, the one Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son, Isaac. Pardon me as I take some drinks every now and then this morning. See, we don't know exactly how much time elapsed between verse 7 and 8, but a good guess, educated guess, would be about three years, because that's the, about the typical time when a child would be weaned in that culture. And so we have this scenario where Isaac is around about three and Ishmael is about 17 at this point. He wasn't a little kid anymore. He was a young man. And we don't know exactly what transpired between these boys. You know, was, was it mocking? Was it bullying? Was it some kind of abuse? Was Ishmael just taking the attention away from Isaac? Uh, we don't know exactly all those details, but Galatians 4 
28 and 29 does say this, and you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, the, the son who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit, Isaac. So it even is now. So Galatians uses the word persecuted. Again, doesn't tell us exactly what that means, but we know what Sarah's problem ultimately was. The root of it was she didn't want Ishmael to be an heir alongside Isaac. And I'm going to say right now, I'm not going to take it particularly easy on Sarah this morning. All right, we've spent a lot of time looking at Abraham, learning from his mistakes, and we're going to do that with Sarah a little bit today. Sarah had a lot of hate in her heart. She resented Hagar and Ishmael, which was a petty position to take, considering it was her idea in the first place for him to even have a child with Hagar. It wasn't like Abraham went off and just had an affair and brought Hagar back and was like, well, uh, Sarah, this is Hagar. She's kind of, sort of in the family now. We're having a kid together. Just thought you needed to know that. You know, it wasn't like that. But even in that situation, one would hope that at least Sarah could see the value of Hagar and Ishmael as human beings created in the image, image of God. But nonetheless, this is more of a story of Sarah being constantly reminded of her own mistakes and not wanting to deal with them. So what's the answer to fix the problem she helped create? Punish somebody else. How petty and vindictive. But also, how human. Right? We've all been there. We know what it's like to make a mistake and then take our frustration out on others. It's happening, and, and, and the people that we're taking it out on are like, what's going on? Why are, why, why are you doing this? And, and, and there's an answer that probably comes out of our mouths, but deep down inside we know the answer is, I messed up, and I'm angry that I messed up, and now you have to suffer because I messed up. Petty, unforgiving, hard hearts ruin relationships. That's what was happening here. Sometimes when Leslie and I are watching TV, I get struck by the dysfunction of the relationships that are portrayed in the, in the friendships and the families. And I, I think about how awful it would be to live like that, like just where people lie to each other and manipulate one another, and it would be horrible. People hold grudges and pretend things are okay when really they're harboring resentment and anger and all kinds of things. And this stuff ruins relationships. And I know TV is, is usually a caricature of, of society, but that's the way a lot of people's lives really, it, what it's really like. It's sad, lying and secrets and manipulation, unresolved issues, plotting against each other, people living different lives, two different lives, sometimes more. Sometimes spouses will go days or, or even weeks without talking to each other. God, help us. You know, like, sometimes I wonder how we keep any relationships at all. But we do. And Sarah refused. She refused to embrace Hagar and Ishmael into the family. She refused to love them. And that is really sad. My question to all of us is, is there anybody in our life that we have ever refused to love? we've ever refused to forgive. Maybe it's in the past or maybe it's happening right now. Are you glad that God hasn't done that with you?
I am. When we think about it that way, we realize like, man, refusing to love, refusing to forgive, that doesn't reflect Christ. That doesn't reflect having the Holy Spirit inside of us. It ruins relationships. We've all seen it. We've seen marriages end because one or, or both spouses grow cold and hard and refuse to love each other. We've seen wars start because one nation refuses to love the other. We've seen our country continue to tear itself apart because one political side refuses to love the other political side, and it goes both ways. Cancel culture is not Christian culture. Christian culture is forgiveness and redemption. But Sarah wanted Hagar and Ishmael canceled. Thankfully, the Lord did not. He saw things a little differently. He loved them. This was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac and I will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring. See, Abraham didn't want this and I would hope that he wouldn't have gone through with it, right? Like he could have done the noble thing and just not given Sarah what she wanted, but it's a moot point anyway because God takes the decision off his shoulders. And he tells Abraham not to worry about it because God would take care of them. In fact, he said, you know what? Let Sarah have her way because she doesn't know that I will do for them what she refuses to. And that's a beautiful reflection of the reality that God's love overcomes people's hatred. Just like with Joseph's brothers, what Sarah intended for evil, God intended for good. People will do all kinds of things to disappoint us, to hurt us, to set us up for failure, but God's love never fails. People's mercies run out, but his are new every morning. Many things can separate us from the love of other human beings, but nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. One of the things that's happening in our society right now that's so saddening is how people are being trained that everything's going to mess them up forever. You know, we should have a respect for there's real trauma, there's real abuse, and we should care for those who have suffered it. But even with real abuse and trauma, people are being conditioned to believe that it's going to stay, it has to stay with them forever. Like, like there's no escape from it. And that mentality makes sense for the world, but not for the Christian because we believe in redemption. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in becoming a new creation in Christ. We believe in healing and moving forward and putting the past in its place. So there's that side of it. But then there's another piece. It's not just that people are being conditioned to believe that a few things might mess them up forever. But it's like nearly everything. There's real trauma and abuse, but right now in society, the definitions are becoming so watered down that the real stuff, the legitimate stuff, is being drowned in the sea of fragility. And so kids are hearing from adults that every little thing that happens to them, oh, that's going to mess you up for life. And when they hear it enough, they start to believe it. And when they start to believe it, 
It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it does mess them up. Not because it had to, but because nobody was there to help them process it appropriately as they were going through it. But we can keep from falling into those traps and remember that God's love overcomes people's hatred. The gospel is a story that teaches us how God turns what was intended for evil into good. Through the gospel, we learn to see life through the lens of forgiveness and redemption and healing and restoration and hope. We don't see it through the world's lens of oppression and retribution and desperation and revenge and hopelessness. Thankfully, Hagar and Ishmael were living in God's world the one that he created and he reigned sovereignly over and not one that we made up. And see what he does for them. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance, about a bow shot away, for she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. While she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. And this is heartbreaking. This is a tragic scene that was unfolding. And I hope that Sarah's heart would have softened if she had seen this mother and her child about to die without water and seemingly without hope. But the beauty of the situation for Sarah was she didn't have to see it. Because when our hearts are hard, we will figure out ways to hide the hurt that we are bringing on other people by pushing it out of sight and out of mind because hard hearts hide hurt. It's not a tongue twister. Hard hearts hide hurt. How many expecting moms and dads would actually take their developing baby and put it on a table in front of them and rip it apart limb from limb? Very few. But millions upon millions will allow that to happen as long as someone else is doing it and as long as they don't have to see it. It's happening in the womb. That's the beauty of the abortion lie. Don't let them hear see an ultrasound of their baby. Don't let them hear a heartbeat. Don't let them see the procedure. Don't let them see the body parts. Keep everything out of sight. Throw it in the garbage. That's the kind of environment that lets hard hearts thrive. Hagar and Ishmael were in a tragic situation, but Sarah didn't have to see it because she just cast them away, away from her face, out from in front of her. She didn't want to deal with it. And sometimes we might find ourselves bringing pain on other people. And we know we're doing it, but we shove the situation away so that we can get relief whenever they're still hurting. And our hearts are saying, I know it's not right. I know they're hurting, but I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to address it. So I'm just going to put it out of sight and out of mind. Let it go away. It's not my problem anymore. Give it time and it'll go away. But I implore you not to let that happen in your own life. If you know that something that you're doing is, is hurting someone else or, or it has hurt someone else, if you know there's a problem in a relationship, don't bury it. Face it. Deal with it. 
Just as Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Can you picture Sarah casting off Hagar and Ishmael and then going to make sacrifices to the Lord? There would be no worship in such an act. How do we worship God? Think about those those two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. She wasn't doing it. But God was. As he cared for them. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Hagar wept loudly, but also Ishmael was crying, right? And this, the passage actually says that God heard the boy crying. And you, if you remember the story in Genesis 16, where God came and cared for Hagar, and she discovered, and she, get, she called God the God who sees me, right? So she discovered in her time of need that he was the God who sees And right now, in another time of need, they discover that he's also the God who hears. He sees our suffering. He hears our cries. And praise be to God that he doesn't just feel for us. He cares for us. He takes action. In our God-space evangelism training, we talked about how it's possible to feel compassion for people, but not act compassionately. We, We all know what that's like. You know, we can have all kinds of feelings towards others, but that doesn't help them, <laughs> right? I mean, we, whether you agree with the financial support and everything that's going on right now or not, I think we can all agree that Ukraine hasn't been asking for feelings, have they? <laughs> They've been asking for money and ammunition and weapons and internet. And I, for one, am thankful that Jesus didn't see, that he didn't just feel bad about what my sin had done for me. Right? He left his home in heaven and came down to live here and die and suffer for my sins. He didn't just feel bad. He acted. Praise him. And I would challenge every one of us to check ourselves in that realm. Right? Do you, do you feel bad for people or do you help them? Do you feel for the lost? Or do you share the gospel? Do you feel for the lonely? Or do you reach out? Do you feel for the sick or do you pray? Don't just stop at warm feelings. Let it move to action in our lives. And I'm certain that we are all glad and thankful that it doesn't work that way with God, that he doesn't just stop at warm feelings. Well, the end of this chapter, I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read the first part. At that time, Abimelech, accompanied by Fickle, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Swear to me by God here and now 
that you will not break an agreement with me or with my children and descendants. So at the end of this chapter, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but wouldn't it be great if people saw our lives, if they looked at us and they said, oh man, God is with you in everything you do. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. And Abimelech could see God's grace and blessing in Abraham's life. And so he, that made him desire to form a treaty with Abraham. And, you know, he was like, I don't want this guy to be against me because God is with him. And that would be great, wouldn't it, if it was like that for us all the time? I mean, I know scripture says if God is for us, who can be against us? But that doesn't teach us that no one can be against us. Jesus spent plenty of time getting us ready for all the people who would be against us. Rather, what it's about is that when God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. But nonetheless, these men made a treaty and Abraham planted a tree. He planted a tree to remember the, what, who he called the everlasting God. You know, when, when Abraham was talking about God as the everlasting God, you know he had in mind that everlasting covenant that was made with him. And I think, you know, Abraham had been through a lot, right? He left his home to follow the Lord's call. He'd watched his wife be barren for 90 years. He had seen war and death and destruction. And now he had seen God's grace and power come through for him again and again and again. And and, and if uh, name change and circumcision wasn't enough of a reminder, he could look at the beautiful eyes of his baby son and remember every day that everlasting God that made an everlasting covenant. And he would need to remember it. It's very important for him to remember because he is about to face the hardest test yet. Possibly the hardest test that any human has ever been given from the Lord, which we will talk about next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for helping me uh, and my voice and to get through. Lord, thank you so much for everyone who contributes to these worship services. Lord, for our music team, for Mike coming and reading scripture. And, and God, we look forward to, to hearing more, Lord, from each other, to, from hearing more stories about things that you've done in our lives, about relationships that we've built, about opportunities to love and share the gospel. And Lord, we pray to help us process what we've studied this morning. We are all familiar with what it looks like to have a hard heart. But again, I am so thankful that you are a caring creator who busts our hard hearts wide open. And when we find ourselves coming up against you, Lord, it, there's, it's no match. You are always going to accomplish what you set out to accomplish. But we really miss out whenever we set ourselves against you. Lord, when we set ourselves against you, we're not going to change the promises that you've made, the plans that you have, but we are going to miss out. We're going to miss out on blessings. We're going to miss out on so many things because our hearts are hard. 
So we pray that you would help us to remember these truths that we've learned this morning. God, we pray that we wouldn't find ourselves being in the situation that Sarah was in where we just don't want to deal with mistakes that we've made. We don't want to love people. We don't want to forgive, but we just want to cast the situation away from ourselves so we don't have to see it. We don't have to look at it. We don't have to deal with it. God, help us to not be those people. Help us to be the people that go and reconcile and forgive and love even when it hurts. It's easy to love. The Bible teaches us that. It's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to love people who treat you right. But we're called to love our enemies. We're called to pray for those who persecute us. We're called to turn the other cheek. God, we're called to go into a world that would hate us that would lie about us, that would persecute us. But what do they know? They don't know any better because they don't have Christ. So help us to take Christ. Help us to become more and more like you are, that caring creator, and that we would be able to go out into this world full of hardness and, and hopelessness, and inject hope and love and joy and kindness and patience and forgiveness and just everything that's needed. Give us strength, Lord. It won't be easy, but we're, we're here to do it together. So help us in Christ's name. Amen.